listeners, this is Kirsten Barrington-Hughes from the Carolina Film Community here at the awesome Ground Crew Studios in Charlotte, North Carolina. And today, I'm really happy to be speaking with Gregory Hewitt, who's a special makeup effects artist and the owner of Gregory FX. Thank you so much for coming. It's nice of you to have me. Thank you. You know, I've been hunting you down to try to talk to you for a few months. I really wanted our listeners to hear about the cool stuff you do and and how they could get into this kind of a career um, and the process you go through and all that kind of stuff. So I want to really pick your brain on what is it like to do special effects makeup in the film industry today? So is that cool? Oh, that sounds wonderful. Great. Absolutely. Um, so yesterday you piqued my interest on your Gregory FX page on Facebook and you were really kind of showing the process of how you uh, create like a wound. Um, And so I want to talk about that at some point later. But let's start from the beginning. How did you really get started or how how was your interest peaked in this uh, career choice? Well, about 100 years ago, there was no such thing as the internet. So the knowledge was not available as it is. It's not readily available at all. And I just saw horror films as a kid, which I wasn't allowed to do, but did anyway, that whole rebel. And once watching those, I always wanted to know how did they make Freddy Krueger? How did they make Jason Voorhees? And I was walking through the grocery store one day with my parents, and I seen a Fangoria magazine. And Fangoria is well known as a horror movie background information magazine. It has little bits in it on how they do the makeup. Just little bits, not, not much, because special effects itself is a more or less a secret field. Why it got that way, I'm not sure, but a lot of the techniques and a lot of the trade secrets are kept to individual artists only, and I guess that's a way of them to prosper in the business. I don't think that way. I'm just the opposite. But by seeing those pictures in the magazines, I decided, well, I can can replicate that. I can do that. So I saved up my allowance. I sent off got the makeup kits out of the back of the classified section of Fangoria magazine, and I started practicing. I used my friends as guinea pigs. I used myself as so much of a guinea pig, I'm surprised I didn't kill myself, blow myself up, you name it. (laughs) But that's how I got started. It, It just, the ball started rolling, and I would say, honestly, I remember it distinctly, my sixth grade year in school, when I was in the sixth grade is whenever I actually started special effects makeup. Because I got, I got sent to the office one time for making a person up, and this arm looked so realistic that he made it all the way to the nurse's office and the saline solution they were rubbing on his arm <laughs> uh, to clean the wound. They actually found out it was fake, and that was my first experience of uh, <laughs> having something that actually looked real in front of somebody else. That's so amazing that you kind of are self, you know, you're self-taught and so on at such an early age. Did you ever get to a point where you thought, okay, now I've got to validate what I've taught myself and kind of go for some mentorship or training or how did that, did you have a next step like that or were you always kind of on your own? I tried, uh, as in, back in the days, uh, there were, it was real secret, really, really secret. So contacting a lot of the artists, which I did, Some of them did not reply. Other ones sent back kind of generic replies like, I'm not taking any interns, you're too young. Uh, And others just flat out said, no, I don't teach. So I really didn't get any support from the professional community until much, much later in my career where they actually seen me and knew that I was serious about my craft. That is 
I guess one of the things that steered me towards teaching young people today, I know just how hard it is to actually have the confidence of a professional artist uh, to give you a chance, you know, to, to just because of your age, you know, you're, you're, uh, I have a student as young as 10 years old. Uh, for a 10-year-old to come up to you and say, will you show me this? And when I was that same age, I remember the makeup artist either, either ignoring me or saying I was too young or just laughing it off like I wasn't serious. I remembered that. And now I make it a point when somebody asks me that question, will you teach me this? Will you show me this? I make it a absolute priority to show that person because I want them to succeed. It took me a lot longer to get to where I'm at, and I don't want it to take that long for the up-and-coming artists of today. Right. That's amazing. And and nowadays, it's not just horror films that have a lot of the special effects makeup. It's stuff like Avatar and so many other genres. What is your favorite genre? Is it, is it horror, or is it do you like other stuff? Actually, my favorite genre is probably uh, sci-fi because there really aren't that many rules in science fiction because the stuff really hasn't been seen. Aliens. Have we really ever seen an alien? I mean, I granted, there's probably some people that drank too much one night and seen a couple aliens. <laughs> However, uh, for the majority of the public, you haven't ever seen an alien in real life, so we have a lot of leeway. Whereas with casualty simulations, you know you've got bone, you know you've got muscle, you know you've got adipose tissue. There's certain, certain rules you have to follow. Whereas there's so much freedom in creating a creature that's never been seen before. Right. Now, would um, you know the film, uh, the case of the curious case of Benjamin Button, that film, is that um, considered a different genre of theatrical makeup or is that kind of lumped in um, like, you know, someone that does what you do can do that genre, too? Or how does that work? No, that is uh, specifically special effects makeup. Uh, that's going from older to younger, younger to older. Uh, there's different age progressions. Age progression is in itself a mastery in special effects makeup. It's actually on a lot of the tests in a lot of makeup schools that you, you do. And also other artists will grade you on how well you can age somebody because there really is a strict guideline to that. Um, you know what old people look like. You know what really young people look like. There is not much variation you can do. So if you do not hide the lines right, if you do not get the wrinkles right, if you add too many wrinkles, it's going to blow up and be immediately seen as a red flag of being fake. So that is extremely difficult, and it is by far one of the strongest challenges that we face as special effects makeup artists is aging and age regression. I enjoy doing it, though, myself. That's awesome. And I, I know I've seen some of your pictures where you have like a whole, um, like, I don't know if it's a zombie face, it's like all decomposing and open and you see the teeth and part of the skull and all that. Did you actually have to study some kind of anatomy on your own to get all of that? I mean, how do you, because you have to know a lot about bones and muscles, as you were mentioning, right? Very, very long time ago, not a lot of people know, but a very long time ago, I started out to be a podiatrist and I actually went to school and I was very good at anatomy. Uh, extremely well at it. I love the body. I love all the parts of the body. So I learned all the minute layers, what the colors look like, what the textures look like, what muscles do, what tendons do. And all of that comes into motion. Uh, you know that if you strike 
uh, the body with this type of weapon or if you you know tear this muscle this way that it's going to do this it's going to have this reaction or it's going to expose this another layer and by having that knowledge uh, the sculpting and the casting and then the application process it makes that much more realistic whereas you wouldn't have a tooth hanging three inches where it should be in real life but there's a lot of makeup that you see on Halloween where they'll have a jawbone hanging you know five inches off the face and you're like well tell me a story and the artist will be like, what? And I'm like, tell me the story. How did the jaw get on the side of the face? If you can't tell me a story of why that jaw is on the side of the face the way it is, then how can that makeup be believable? Right. It's almost like you need forensic evidence or something. Right. Like, right. Yeah, right. It's like a forensic art. It, it really is. You're, you're, you have a story, and if somebody can come up and say, oh, okay, well, we know that their whole bottom jaw was crushed. We know it was crushed in a downward motion because everything is faced in a downward motion. You know that whatever hit it, hit it from the top down to the bottom. It's, it's little things like that, and you follow that little pattern that make things that much more believable. And believability is the sign of a true special effects makeup artist. If somebody walks up to you and says, what did you do th to their jaw, Gregory? I'm like, well, what do you mean? And the person's like, well, where's their jaw at? Then you know you've accomplished your goal. Right. Even though their jaw is in plain sight, you've got it covered up with an appliance. Because you, but because you followed all the rules of anatomy, all the rules of art, sculpture, uh, you have made it disappear before the public. So, And that kind of suspension of disbelief, right? Exactly. Like a magician. A magician's trick. It really is part of the magic of filmmaking, isn't it? You know, it, and it's it's cool to hear that you you really adhere to this um, kind of uh, constraint of making sure that it's it's real and that it has you know kind of a anatomical and scientific uh, background and it's forensically you know explainable. And I really like that. I, I had no idea that um, you know people didn't just go into the makeup room and you know create some gore, you know, like, <laughs> that's really cool. So tell me a little bit about the sculpting, the casting, and so on. I saw these pictures last night again on, on your Facebook page. Um, so tell me about when you, you say, okay, well, I've got to make a wound of some sort. How does it start, and how, what are the processes? The first thing I do is look at the story. Um, the director will give me a storyline and say, I want this person to have a stab wound in that particular instance. Okay, you want a stab wound. What kind of a stab wound? Well, somebody came at this person with a knife and they tried to defend themselves. They held up the arm and then there was a, a defensive wound. Okay, you know right now that you've got a defensive stab wound. Then I go on the internet and I look through a lot of, I've got a lot of really old medical reference books that I got from all the wonderful uh, auction sites on the internet. Um, a lot of them come from medical schools and have authentic pictures. And plus there's a load of them on the internet as well. I look at all of the defensive stab wounds, and then I put up a, about 20 or 30 pictures printed off on a big corkboard uh, in front of me, and then I start slowly sculpting. I'll take a little bit from this picture, a little bit from that picture. I'll start blending them together. I'll be like, oh, I really want to show the adipoise layer. You know, I really want to show the fat layer up under the skin. I don't want it to be flat. And then, oh, I really like the way that the muscle looks in this picture, and I start slowly blending them together. And then I come up with a blocked out sculpture. And then I just start refining it after that point. And at that point, your anatomy comes in. Okay, I know that skin's supposed to have this texture. I know that muscle's supposed to have this texture. And after a while, about a day goes by and you're done. You've got a fully finished sculpture. And next comes the molding process.
And do you then show the sculpture to the director, for example, and say, is it approved or how does that work? Yeah, normally you have to send several pictures from several different angles. Actually, they, they have, uh, you can create a miniature and send a miniature of something to the director. You can have the director come to your studio, make changes. Oh, I want the I want the actual stab wound to be longer. I want it to be shorter. I want it to be more jagged. You know, this was done with a steak knife. Okay, you didn't tell me it was a steak knife before, so I know it's got to be more of a serrated type jagged look. It wasn't a nice smooth cut. It's little details like that. They come in and refine for you and tell you, and you just make the small little changes. Yeah, but you really have to get the okay, literally a check mark from the director that says, that's what I want. Okay. Once you get that check mark, then you continue on to the next step. And what's it. that? The molding? Molding process. There's many different ways to mold a prosthetic. There's uh, ultracow, hydrocow, there's uh, epoxies, there's fiberglasses, there's silicones, there's even rigid foams you can use in a, in a, a short uh, bind. There's many, many ways, depending on how you want to cast it, whether you want to cast it in silicone, whether you want to cast it in foam latex, that will depend on how you make the mold. Okay, so let's say you've got the mold decision done and you've made the mold. Then, um, and let's say that stab wound shows up in the film, like the, the character's got the stab wound for the last hour of the film and he's running around on all different scenes. Do you have to make multiple ones of that? Because... Um, Maybe it's over several different periods and it gets degraded during shooting, or how does that work? You've got continuity issues, always continuity. Uh, me and the continuity uh, person are usually uh, best friends because of blood. You can never get a splatter of blood exactly right in every single scene, especially if it's filmed over three or four days. You have to go back and spray that same amount of blood. So in a cut wound like that, yes, you make multiples. Uh, depending on the budget of the movie, Sometimes on ultra-low budgets, uh, when you try to just help out beginning filmmakers you know have got a lot of good potential, they just need help getting started, then you all, you're pretty much producing with them because you're providing a lot of your materials yourself. In mm -hmm. other words, they're not paying you for this. Mm -hmm. So you will only make one or two. You'll make one for the, the slice, and you won't paint it or anything. You'll just use that in the shop. And you'll do anything and everything you can to ruin it because that will let you know what not to do on set. So when you get on set that day, you can go to the lighting crew and say, okay, we, we're, we can't use these lights. Don't use any kind of red hues because you're going to subtract from the flesh color. You know, do not use any blues. You know, you, you go in and you do everything you possibly can to ruin the makeup in the shop as a test. And then once you've got all that information, you make another copy and you take that copy to set. And that is your prime copy. Now, on a bigger budget movie, yeah, you might have three and four different appliances. And the scene may be shot over two or three days. So you might even have more appliances than that. You might even have 10 or 12. So there's pretty much the potential of how many you have depends on the budget. Right. Right. Because it, it's time and money to make those things, right? Right. Exactly. Um I know from experience uh, from an actor in my house that um, we save our wounds after filming, uh, peel them <laughs> off and keep them on a shelf. Do you have uh, other uh, clients that are, or actors that have done the same with your work? I have a lot of clients that want to wear their makeup home. Uh, <laughs> a rule I've always had is I take your makeup off before you leave because it's very unprofessional to begin with. I've seen other artists who are just like, ah, I go home and take a shower. 
But to me, you're not doing your job. Uh, makeup people are usually the first people on set because we apply the makeup, and then we're the last people to leave because we take the makeup off. And what kind of skin care do you have to do if there's like a face uh, taking that off? Do you do you bring lotions and stuff like that? Or I do. Um, I use a lot of glue removers. One of the most notorious and tenacious glues in our industry is something called Prosade, and usually since it's waterproof, it sticks very well. You put a sweat barrier on the skin and then you put the prosade on top of it and that appliance pretty much isn't going anywhere for the whole day. Now the client or the actor, when, if they were to wear that home, when they pull it off, they have no remover so they actually take off a very thin but they actually take off a layer of skin when they take the appliance off and their skin can be red, it can be irritated, it can even get bumps like if you were to shave and uh, get the little uh, just ir- skin irritation, and that's not good. Yeah, that's damage. Right. That's the reason why the rule is, take off their makeup before they leave. I know a lot of them want to go through McDonald's, they want to go through <laughs> Burger King drive-throughs just to get the reactions. That's just not fair. <laughs> but, <laughs> but if they do decide, uh, above all, I have I do actually have a waiver. And I will send them cleaner home with them and a link to a, a, a video where they can remove it themselves if they absolutely want to. Okay. So once they sign that waiver, then they're released. They can do it. But I do not like letting somebody leave my shop with makeup on. So a couple questions. Um, what's the longest makeup application that you've ever had for an actor? Hmm. The longest makeup. Wow. There's been some there's been some pretty pretty intense ones over my career. I guess in the beginning, uh, whenever I was a kid, it took a lot longer. Uh, some makeups, like putting on a, a full face prosthetic, would take upwards of two and a half hours, whereas now it takes 30 minutes. Right. Uh, but back then, I had to have very patient clients and very <laughs> patient friends who just sit there. And, you know, your butt goes to sleep. Your back goes to sleep. And that's something else. Everything that I put on my clients, I've put on myself. Mm-hmm. So I know what they're feeling. I know what they're going through. If, as a makeup artist, golden rule, if you won't put it on your own skin, don't you dare put it on a client's skin. Right. And what's your favorite uh, project that you've worked on? My favorite project would probably have to be, uh, it was a movie filmed from a group called Walking Wolf Productions in Florida called Fractured Minds. Uh, it It was an independent film. However, it was one of the most professional independent projects I've ever been on. They, the production actually set me up in a hotel in another state for a whole week. Uh, we had three lunches a day, uh, hot lunches. And you know in our business how rare it is to get uh, three hot lunches a day. Right. Craft services were phenomenal. And the way we were handled as far as production, our assistants, the PAs, everything was just like clockwork. And it went so smooth that it was incredible. It was like being on a multi-million dollar project. That's great. I will always remember that. And that's kind of the standard I have now. Uh, I hate us that way, but I always want on an independent film to get that same kind of feeling I had on that production. You could tell that they truly and honestly cared. They weren't just trying to throw something together and get something out there. They really, really wanted this to succeed. Right. Now, 
Um, as you know, because you're a member, the Charlotte, uh, sorry, now we're renamed the Carolina Film Community is alive and well here in Charlotte, North Carolina. What do you think about um, what's happening in film today in the Carolinas? Are you excited about what's uh, on the horizon? Is there uh, a lot of work for you? What are you thinking about? It's a bittersweet feeling. I just, you know, the, the, the incentives program, which is a lot of talk. I won't even go into that. I'll just say that I'm very saddened by the outcome of what's going to happen with that because it's almost like California has just laughed at North Carolina by saying, okay, you're doing that. You're you're botching up your film incentives. We're making ours sweeter. So now you're going to get, not only are you losing work to Georgia, you're also going to be losing work to uh, back to California as well. <laughs> so that part of it's bittersweet. As far as the work goes, I love what I do. Whether it's a $500 independent film, the whole entire budget, $500, or whether it's a $500,000 project, I love what I do. I treat both projects with the same amount of professionalism. And that's one of the reasons why I've succeeded in where I'm at is because I do take it seriously. You know, when you sit in my makeup chair, uh, you are my boss. You know, I'm not treating you uh, like just an actor or an actress I'm treating you like you're you know the best person on the face of the earth so I want your makeup to look the best it's ever looked I want you to be able to get out there and when you perform I want you to make that project work because my work does not work unless you bring it to life as an actor right it's a it really is a group thing the lighting guys they can ruin my makeup the the uh, camera guys they can ruin your makeup by the angles and then the actors themselves can ruin your makeup just by not performing the way they should. So it takes everybody working together as a group to make my makeup a success. So I can't sit here and say, yeah, I'm, I'm really great at this. I have to say we are really great at this because it truly is the whole community when they come together on a project that actually makes my makeup come to life. Right. A real collaboration. Now, let me ask you, Gregory, if uh, someone wants to get a hold of you, either to uh, work with you or to learn more about what you do and what your company, Gregory FX, does, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Is it your Facebook page or a website? The easiest way is to go to uh, my Facebook page. I do have a company Facebook page, but that was simply uh, something I put up several years ago uh, under Gregory FX. The best way is just to go to my personal uh, Facebook page, Gregory Hewitt. Um, I ask that if you do go on there and you comment on pictures that you keep it clean. I have a lot of young artists starting out uh, below the age of 15, and the last thing I want them to see is a lot of uh, bad language. We should keep it clean on Facebook anyway. Exactly. Yeah. So if you go there, look up Gregory Hewitt on uh, Facebook, find me, add me as a friend, and if you have questions... I always answer questions, uh, especially from aspiring makeup artists. I think it's foolish that there's a lot of artists in our industry, uh, professional artists, and a lot of them don't like what I say, but I can't help that. Yeah. Um, I Later in my life, I took a course uh, by Dick Smith, who just recently passed away. He was oh. considered the godfather of makeup. Uh, he did The Godfather Part 1, Part 2. He did. Uh, he, he's, he won so many awards. It's, it's unbelievable. But... He invented half the makeups we use today. And a lot of the stuff in his course that he took was his own theories and ideas he wanted other artists to use. He never kept secrets. 
And you can see a lot of professional artists who are trying uh, to get out of the business and go into like retail or, or whatever are using his theories and calling them their, their own and, and making them new trade secrets. And it's, it's sad because what, what Dick's philosophy was, was he wanted your idea and my idea to become a better idea. Right. And, and now uh, that process by some is being stopped at the, this is my idea only. And so the, the knowledge is not there to be able to, to make it even better. Whereas with me, if a student who is 14 years old comes to me and doesn't know how to do something, they sit there and they tell me, all right, I want to learn how to do this. I show them how to do it. I, at the same time, when I'm listening to them talk back to me, I keep my mouth shut because they might say something that I don't even know at this point in my career. They might say, oh, well, you know what? I added some blue to this and it turned into this. Right then and there, a person who's 14 years old has just showed me that their idea and my idea have become a better idea for a better concept. And yeah. that's the reasons why I do not keep secrets. It's a true collaboration. And, and it's great that you're so open and um, and so willing to take in from everything around you and also give it back. And I appreciate you so much coming to talk to us today. Like I said, I've been hounding you because I just think what you do is so interesting. <laughs> I kind of so... stay hidden. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm glad we could make it work. And um, thank you so much for our listeners for listening today to Gregory Hewitt. Thank you so much for Ground Crew Studios for hosting us today in Charlotte, North Carolina. Thank you. Music composed by Sean Beck.